Well, before we begin, I actually want to read an email that we got as a staff. Yeah, emails. We love these kind of emails. So we got this from, let's see, I got to find it in my group me. I should have come prepared. There it is. So we got this email and it says, Andy and Heather, I don't know what you and Jesus are doing in Chi Alpha, but God, but God, but God life is being manifested on this campus. Today in my class, I was experiencing cold symptoms to the point that I lost my voice. And if I sustain, if I sustain speech too long, after class, a kid, a kid in my class came up and very respectfully asked if I would let him pray for me. I agreed. And then very respectfully, he asked if he could place his hand on my shoulder. I agreed. Then he prayed a very short, to-the-point prayer of faith, calling on the name of Jesus. After he prayed, I asked if he was part of a campus group, and he said, I was part of Chi Alpha. He, I had no idea, he had no idea that I had any association with, association with Chi Alpha, or to my shame, that I was a believer to any degree. It was his faith and boldness that led him to take such a risk today. Oh, for many more such women and men of God who will pursue the kingdom first in all circumstances. I am so encouraged. Fred Garber. So Fred Garber is our uh, academic advisor, not academic advisor, staff advisor. He's our organization advisor from the university. He's actually the head of the electrical engineering department, and he's a professor and teaches EE classes. And Kyle Turner was the one that prayed for him. Yeah, that's really awesome. That's super awesome. I want to read that email because I want to affirm what risks you guys take on campus. It's not just Kyle. It just so happened that Kyle did one that got back to us, but we understand that God works for you guys every day. You guys do things that require risk, that require, you know, a lot of nerves and guts to do, and so we want to affirm what you guys do on campus when we don't see it. We want to affirm what you do in your classrooms and in other people's dorm rooms and at, at various times of the day and week. We love to see God move through you and for you to extend God's hand to people that don't know him. And maybe they do. And they're encouraged like this to seek God better. So thanks, Kyle, for doing that this week. Really affirm your, your, yeah, really affirm you. That's awesome. That's awesome. So my name is Jay. Hey. Hey. So this is the second to last connection of the year. I know. I know. I was just thinking that while I love Summer Connection, there's something special about doing this together in the year when we're all here in the same place. And, um, and I'm excited to be talking about missions tonight. But before we start, um, I have... Uh, I want to say that I love the gospel. I love, I love the good news of Jesus. For me, it's been the most tangible thing in my life since I was 15. Uh, when I was 15, I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and it, it changed my life. It literally changed the course of my life. I'm not the same person I was. I don't have the same dreams. I don't have the same ambitions since then. Um, but it, it, it's changed it's slowly changed the direction of my life in every life stage from when I was in high school to when I was in college 
um, when I was in the marketplace, when I got married, when I had kids, it's, it's continually changed the direction that I want to take my own life. And so more or less, um, more or less, I feel like it's taking another change in my life. Many of you guys know, especially the couple older ones that might be here, like Dimitri's around, um, he would know that I haven't always been here. This hasn't always been my job. I was, in a mar- I was in the marketplace, and I served as an engineer for several years before I really feel like God dragged me out of the marketplace. I didn't want to leave the marketplace because I loved it, but I feel like God dragged me out and, and asked me to give this part of my life to, to the campus and to Dayton. And so, um, so I, I, I signed up, and I said I was going to serve for four years. And so the end of this, that four-year term is, is coming to a close very quickly. So I started in January 2015. And so starting January 2018, I was like, oh, man, I only have like one year to figure out what I'm going to do. And, um, and so, you know, it's really been a game changer for my heart to, to, um, to follow the, the deepest parts of the passions of my heart on an everyday basis, to disciple people, to raise them up. Um, to see people's lives changed by the very gospel that I fell in love with when I was 15. Um, and in this last school year, I've seen a lot of, um, we've seen a lot of action across town. And, and both of it, you know, some of it's miraculous. Like I, could, I, was, I keep joking with Ashley, I probably need to write a book when this whole thing's said and done about what God has done across town. Uh, like from him having people spontaneously resign that we needed to resign to bringing people across the country to serve in a job that we needed when we needed an inside um, advocate for what we were establishing there, from um, providing students and leaders that are fully bought in. Three of them are here right now, Lindsay and Monica and Kim. Yeah. And some of it has been really challenging, to say the least. Um, and so, more or less, right now, the, the situation there is, has really put me on hold until the fall of 2019. And I really haven't been on campus there at all since, like, fall breakaway time. So that'd be, like, early October. And so that's done a lot to really change my role, to change how I'm... I'm doing my job and, and even what it's done to like really like restrict the deepest parts of me. Um, so we've had to make a decision of what I'm going to do next. And, um, and I, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I can say that I feel like God calling me somewhere, um, but I really do feel like something's been awakened in me that I, I probably will never go back to engineering. And it's because when, when the Lord has, has awakened this engineering side of me to engineer people for the kingdom of God, um, I don't want to engineer stuff anymore. I don't want to walk by my own design I wanna, I want, and design things. I want to I be in his work to design people and to bring them into streamlining their call for the, for the kingdom. And so as a, as a result... Um, I've decided to make this a career, and so I'm going to go pursue national appointment with Chi Alpha. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. 
And like I said, I don't know if I don't really know if I've been called, but I'm just going to volunteer and do it because I I I can't go back. I can't do anything else with my life. I'm I'm totally wrecked for what God's doing on the campus. What I think is the most strategic mission field in the world. In the world, you couldn't you couldn't plan a better strategy for getting people when they are searching, and they're in the most important life. You know, probably some of the most important life stages of their whole lifespan where they're figuring out the direction they'll go for the next 60, 65 years of their life um, in places where they all come together in one spot and they don't leave for four years. You know, I, it's, it's, it's incredible what God is providing here. So, um, so like I said, whether the Lord's specifically calling me, I'm just going to volunteer and I'm probably going to volunteer for life. And um, so that, just to give you an idea what that looks like, uh, this is my full-time job. But as a part of my full-time job, I'll have to step off campus. Uh, I'll still be in town. Um, I had somebody ask me, one of the guys at UD was asking me, he's like, so will we ever see you because you'll be in Springfield, Missouri all the time? And I said, no, I'm not going to Springfield, Missouri. I'm going there for like some training and I have some, I'll be doing traveling around Ohio and talking to churches and talking to people because I have to raise support. I have to do trainings, and I have a lot of other requirements that I'll have to do in the next year. It'll be about a year-long process. And so when that's done, it'll be like next spring, next summer, maybe next fall even, and then I'll be back on campus. So I'll be around, limitedly. I'll be accessible. Um, you may not see me as often, and but um, you can always call me, text me, come to my house. I might pop in and speak here and there. But I just want to let you guys know that that's what I'm doing. Just for a year. Yep, just for a year. And then we'll be back and rolling. And by that time, who knows, maybe you guys will have like 100 people. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Yeah, that's what we hope. So tonight we're going to talk about the missional heart of God. As the family of God, we don't have a prayer to understand missiology. That is the theology of the mission of the church. If we don't first understand the originator of missiology. The mission of the church comes from the heart of God. It doesn't come from us. And it's not like um, when Jesus left, he needed to give the church some busy work. But it comes from the identity of who God is from the deepest parts of himself. So, before we talk any further about that, let's jump into some scripture. Let's jump into John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. John chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jump down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming to the world, and he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. Pay attention to this verse right here. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray before we go any further. God, we pray that you would, you would really open up to us your missional heart. Your heart to see people come to yourself. It says that if you would be lifted up, you will draw all men to yourself. And so God, I pray that you would draw us ever closer as we lift you up. Lord, we draw us ever into your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. The missional heart of God is, is not just, it's not, um, it's not one piece of him that shows up every once in a while. A lot of times we think of like the missional heart of God showing up in sermons about Christmas or Easter where God came to earth, but he only came at Christmas and he only came at Easter. But we need to celebrate and understand that the missional heart of God is something that exists in him all the time. It's on full display. It consumes everything that he does towards us. The, this missional heart of God exists all the time in pursuit of us. If you would look at the shape of God's heart, if you would look and study what it looks like, then we would come to discover that the anatomy, the very anatomy of God's heart, is sending love. If you see the shape of his heart, it looks a lot like sending love. Not just any kind of love, but sending love. That adjective is very, very important. The love we're talking about isn't passive, it's active. It's actively pursuing you from the time that you were born. It's pursuing you right now. Whether you proclaim to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus or you're figuring it out, it's pursuing you right now in an active way. It's not passive and stands by and says, I'm just going to wait for you to come. But he, he goes after those he loves, which is us. It even pursues us at his own risk. Every part of Jesus coming to earth was risky. Was the plan going to work out? Were the disciples going to really follow him? Were they going to follow through when he was gone? It was a risk, and it, and it involved great pain, great turmoil, great separation between he and the Father. He pursues us and pursued us at his own risk. In the very beginning of the Bible, we see evidence of, of this characteristic of God. It didn't just pop up in the New Testament. We see it in, through the entire Bible, Old and New Testament. We see it come up right after um, Adam and Eve fell. The Lord communicated this part of his heart and revealed it. Now up until this point, God was creator. He was 
father to them. He made them. But as far as, you know, God having this missional facet to him, it wasn't really revealed because there was no need. Yeah, he pursued them and he had relationship with them and he walked with them every day. But as far as him being missional and after them, there was no reason. They were in perfect harmony, in perfect community. But we see in Genesis chapter 3, 15, you don't have to turn there, it's up there. I'm just going to read it really quick. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That comes right in the middle of God, God pronouncing the consequences of Adam and Eve's decision to disobey God. And he pronounces this list of curses that will now come upon them as consequence of them falling into sin. And right Nestled right in the middle of that, lo- that list of curses, to the curse to the snake and the curse to the man and the curse to the woman, he nestles in this clue to who he is. He doesn't step out of himself as loving father and then into this angry Old Testament God because they sin. He is himself the entire time, and we see evidence in this scripture, which said to them, doesn't matter whose fault this was, I'm going to put it upon myself to fix it. Doesn't matter how guilty you are, but someday I'm going to come and I'm going to bear the guilt of all your sins in my own body. Doesn't matter even the eternal consequences of the rebellion. Their rebellion, this sin, they they ate of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it had eternal ramifications. There were people that would never know who God the Father was because they did that one thing. Before they ate the fruit, all of mankind was poised to know God fully for all, for all the time that humans would exist. But they ate the fruit and now there was going to be separation. God could have been very angry at them and said, because of you, you're ruining everything. The blood of billions of people that will exist on earth will be on your hands. But instead, instead of, instead of doing that, he says, one day I'm going to jump right in the middle of this whole mess. And I'll, I'll become the victim of your rebellion. The incarnation of Jesus was God's ultimate demonstration of his missional heart. In 1 John 4, 8, uh, it says that God is love. God himself is love. And, if, and the, the great part about that is when he sends his love, he actually sends himself. He sent Jesus. And when he pursues you, he doesn't send this like box of blessing or he doesn't send these box of really nice words written on a card, but he actually sends himself. Sarah, when he, when he sends his love to you, he sends himself to come visit you and speak straight to your heart from his heart, to enter into your life, to intervene in situations that we pray for him to intervene in. He sends himself. Jesus coming to earth, wrapping himself in flesh, the incarnation is what that, that theological word is, was the ultimate demonstration of him sending his love to us. 
It's not something he does, it's something he is. Jesus was the very first missionary of the gospel. He came from heaven to earth as missionary to us to proclaim who the Father was and to bring us back to him. We see this in John chapter 3, probably one of the most famous scriptures in all the Bible. John chapter 3, turn with me here. We're going to start in verse 13. John chapter 3, verse 13. No one has ever gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God so loved the world that he was compelled to do something. When God loves us, through and through, he's compelled to take action towards us. He's not passive in his love. It's very, like I said, it's sending love. It's meant to come towards us. He doesn't back away when we're dirty. He doesn't back away when we're full of sin or deceit or rebellion or we hate him or we spit at him or we're bitter at him. He doesn't step back and and hope that maybe someday they'll come to me. But he actually pursues us and steps towards us. God draws near to us. I know sometimes we can feel like God is really at a distance and and we're reaching and we're reaching with God, where are you? Where are you? But he's actually right there, already in hot in pursuit of, of where you are. God always makes the first move towards us. He always makes the first move towards you. That is the nature of his love. It's not, it's not a stagnant pool that just sits there with finite measurement, like a pond, where it's just, it's just there and we have to go and find where it is. Where is this mystical love of God that I can drink and be fulfilled? But it's actually this flowing river that comes out from his heart and comes towards us that's infinite. He is in hot pursuit of us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's in Romans 5.8. While we were his enemies, not just, you know, not just passive friends or occasional acquaintances or just, benign bystanders of, of God, but while we were his enemies, his direct enemies, while we were directly insulting God, while, while the human race is directly attacking who God is, 
he is in hot pursuit of them because of the, the very shape of his heart, what it looks like. Sending love, that God is constantly initiating relationship. He is always initiating relationship. Even for those of us in the room right now that have relationship with him, and we know him and we're intimate with him, he is initiating desires in your heart. He is initiating the plan for your life. He initiates. He is not passive. It's poised to send his love. Because of the way his heart is, the way his heart plays out into action, so like the physiology of his heart, is missions. Jesus being the first missionary of the gospel, the ultimate missionary, coming from the best place in the universe, heaven, came to sweaty, stinky, dirty, smelly earth, and he sweat, and he got dirty, and he got splinters, and he cut himself, and he was around people he didn't like, and he was around people that didn't like him, and like the friction that we encounter every day, he encountered every human obstacle we have in relationship as a human being. But he was fixed on coming from the beginning. It was a plan A to come find us. God didn't scramble in the garden when they did the wrong thing, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit they weren't supposed to. He wasn't scrambling for a plan. It was just in his heart to say, I'm going to come get you. The heart of God is fixed on sending his love out to the farthest parts. But God doesn't send that love out without a conduit. Just like the human heart, you know, like the human heart is pumping blood. It's full of oxygen, it's full of white blood cells, has platelets, has lots of life-giving parts of the blood that tissues need. And so when the part is pumping blood, it goes through arteries to extremities, through capillaries, and then back to the heart. And it's just in that cycle. Just like a physical heart is constantly sending out life-rich nutrient blood to its farthest extremities, like your fingertips or your toe tips. So, so the heart of God is sending his love to the farthest extremities of the earth. It's in him to reach the farthest parts. Even in, even in Acts chapter 1, where it says, we, Jesus is talking to his apostles, his disciples, and he says, stay in Jerusalem until you're empowered from on high, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, close, in Judea, a little bit farther out, Samaria, a little bit farther out, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, the farthest parts of my reach. That's always been my plan. When Jesus came as a Jewish man, the Jews thought, oh, this is great. The Messiah we've always wanted, 
and the Messiah that's going to come and save us. Even the, even the apostles thought that for a time. You see that when they set up Jerusalem as like the center of the church for a while. And then they started moving out because of persecution and Paul was sent out to, to the Gentiles. But that was not, God's plan wasn't just to stay and save these, this tiny demographic of people on the earth. Because that's not the nature of his love. The nature of his love is to go to the farthest parts and reach everybody. He wants to reach the fingertips and the toe tips of all the earth. But he can't do it without conduits. We have a God-ordained role to be those conduits. I know I'm a missionary. You guys know that. Heather's a missionary. You know that. We support missionaries. You know that. But the, but the gospel can't reach the ends of the earth if there's only a few conduits. We all have a God-ordained role to be a conduit. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. You, you're a conduit because you can do it. It's like an insult. You can do it. No, but you can. Like, whether, whether you know it or not, God, God has a strong desire to involve you in a partnership to reach people that have never been reached before. I know a lot of times we hold up pastors and missionaries in this high pedestal, and it's okay. Like, they're answering a tough call, and they're, they're doing a tough job, and their lives, their, their, their heart's passions, are to, and their whole life is poised to, like, see people come to the kingdom. But there are people that Rihanna, you're going to reach that I will never be able to touch. I don't even know they exist. And they're in your sphere of influence. I mean, every one of you, Jacob, there are people in your sphere of influence that I will never meet. And you're going to reach them because you're, you're gifted and poised in the kingdom of God to reach them and touch them only in a way that you can. Even if I knew those people, you communicate in such a way, you're gifted in such a way, God uses you in such a way that only you will reach them. And the same goes for everybody. In order for the sending love of God to come out from the heart of God, it needs to go through these arteries, which is us. He has formed a partnership with his people to accomplish his mission. It's from design. It's by design. I said earlier that when, when Jesus left his disciples, he didn't just give them busy work to say, okay, I'm leaving, and when I come back, you're going to need stuff to do between now and then. And so here's what I want you to do. This was part of his plan. It was always his plan to disciple, raise up, and to send out, and to teach them to do the same thing. He is, that was the design of the partnership of his mission. Could he do it without us? Could God accomplish his mission without us? Probably. I mean, he can do whatever he wants. 
he's he's done miraculous things before. Like he once kicked some guy off of a off of a horse on the road to Damascus and blinded him with a loud booming voice and called him to share the gospel. He once did that. He'll probably do that with you. But that's not his chosen method for for sending his message of good news to the, to the world. That's not his chosen design. His chosen design is you and I. Throughout the Old and New Testament, we see a constant pattern of God's partnership with people. Now, if I was God, I probably wouldn't partner myself with people because we're not very good at it. We mess up. The Bible is a book full of stories of people messing up over and over. Look at Jonah. I like the name Jonah, but Jonah, he just has a bad attitude. He's a good missionary, but he's a bad attitude. He's, he gets this huge populous city to come back to God. They're a, a very wicked and evil city. And then he sits and like, he's sitting, watching over the city, hoping that God's going to like strike him down, even after they repented. God uses people like Jonah, who even hate the very people that he's reaching. Unfortunately. Or people like Moses, who we see him mess up over and over. He was a chosen deliverer of his people. And yet, he killed a guy, and then when God called him 40 years later, he didn't even want to go. And then he had to, God had to raise up a spokesperson. I mean, it was a big mess because he was just an imperfect person like you and I. He uses us because his design is to partner with us. Through all of history, through all of the Old Testament, through all of the New Testament, we see God raising up and using ordinary people to send his extravagant message to the world. I, uh, I have two kids, and they often like to help me do things. And so this is a picture of Jude and Hank helping me cook, you know? So we're making fish tacos, and they have like this play kitchen because they were wanting to like get up on the counters and help us cook all the time. But apparently we got them this play kitchen for Christmas and they never touch it because what's better than a fake knife? A real knife, right? What's better than a fake burner? A real one with real fire. And so we cook, that's their thing, they get up on chairs and I, we give them you know, things to do and they partner with us in cooking dinner. Now, is it the cleanest process in the world? No. Could I do it faster without them? Yes. Has anyone ever cooked with a one-year-old and a two-year-old? Heather has. You guys have. Yeah. Is it, is it easy? Okay. On a scale from one to ten, how much more difficult does it make your cooking process? Eleven. Eleven. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it does. But the reason I love cooking with them is not because... Hank just has this, this way of making sauces. Or Jude has this, has this way of just, mm, just cutting up things or the perfect dicing of tomatoes. It's because, it's because they're my kids. I love cooking with them because I love to see them help me and partner with me in anything I do. Jude's only two, 
Jude will be three, Hank will be two in May. They both will turn, you know, move up. But I often like am trying to measure what can I have them help me do. Whether it's doing yard work or whether it's doing things around the house or it's cooking or it's, I don't know, fixing a car. Like, I'm, I'm looking for when I can introduce them into something that I'm doing, even if it's playing music, even if it's, you know, just doing menial tasks around the house. I'm itching to get them involved in what I'm doing. I wish, I wish they could come here and experience you guys more, but they're just not at that age where it'll be conducive for us. They're just too darn cute. You guys would only look at them because you wouldn't look at me because I'm not that cute. Maybe to, maybe to some of you I am. I don't know. But I, I long to involve them in my work. I long to involve them in, in my mission for life, whatever that is. Even if my mission of life for the day is to clean the downstairs or to vacuum the floor. Even if my mission of life is to go to campus and meet students I've never met before, I long for the day that I can involve them in all the work that I do. The Lord longs for the day that he can partner with all of his children to do all of his work. And for the time, he gives you piece by piece to involve you in what he's doing. You're not an annoyance to him. <laughs> oh, you're so honest. <laughs> yeah. And, and humble at that. Some of us think that we're God's greatest gift to humanity, but that's not always the case. Right? God longs to involve you in his whole mission. Not because you're great, not because you're gifted, not because you're, you're incredibly astute at what he's doing, but because you're his kids. We're his kids. His partnership with, with us is not obligatory. It's family, actually. I love how God calls us into a family. It's not a business, it's not an organization, it's not a club. It's a family. You guys ever notice um, how this used to happen a lot? It's less and less just because of the way education system and college degrees and things have changed the economy. But you used to see that kids used to do what their parents did all the time. I know my, uh, my grandfather was a, was a steel worker. My dad was a steel worker. And for the longest time in my life, I was scared to death that I was going to have to be a steel worker. <laughs> and I didn't want to do that, and so I became an engineer. It's fine. But we used to see that all the time. You know, carpenters, you have a family of carpenters, and you have a family of musicians, and you have a family of steel workers, and you have a family of this and a family of that. And we still today see that if your parents are teachers. A lot of times that's our inspiration for being a teacher or a doctor or a nurse or whatever we are. A lot of, I meet a lot of a lot of students who are engineers, and they say, yeah, my parents are engineers. My, my dad's an engineer. My mom's an engineer. And so that's inspired them because they've grown up into that. They might be gifted in the same things. But it's interesting how the family of God, that's, that's exactly how God wants this to happen. He wants to pass on his family business to us. 
He wants to involve us in the very work that he's doing, the most important work in all the universe, reaching people with his love, with his heart. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. It says this, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. For you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now this is a letter from Paul the missionary to the church at Corinth, which is the church that he planted. And apparently they've given him a, they've given him a gift, probably money, because that's how Paul supported his mission. His mission work was through money given by churches. And we see that we see that mentioned in a couple different letters of people giving, or he's asking them for money, or I'm going to send somebody to get it. In this one, he's in this particular passage, he's thanking the church at Corinth for their partnership for the gospel. And I love what he says here. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Us being a conduit an agent of the sending love of God straight from his missional heart towards all of humanity is not only in our activity, not only in our actions or our words or our life's call or our commitments to him, but it's also in our money. The very money that he puts in our pockets is meant so that we can be generous on every occasion. I love that. I love that because the desire of our heart is to see all people come to Jesus. There are people in places and cities that speak languages I'll never speak that are part of cultures I don't even know if, that I don't even know exist, but people are called there. I'll never go there, but he's sending people there and we have the privilege of being gifted with finances from God to give to them so that they'll go a place that I'll never be able to reach. There are people that are supporting me right now to reach a campus they had never heard of. I come from a really small town, and the closest university or college is about an hour and a half away. So, and, I, and many people that I've, I talk to in my hometown don't have a college degree. So to talk to them about college ministry is a really, it's a foreign concept. It's like talking about Africa, because they've never been to college and they've never been on a college campus. They hear stories and they see news and things. But they are supporting me and sending me to a foreign mission field that they know nothing about. 
in a language that they don't speak, in OMGs and LOLs and BRBs and emojis. But they send me to a place that they'll never go, to a people they'll never meet, to a demographic they don't understand. Because God has provided them and enriched them to send me. Further down, it says, because of the service by which you proved yourselves, others will praise God. It evokes worship. There will be people worshiping Jesus on planet Earth that are a direct result of dollars that we've given to missions. We'll go to heaven and we'll meet them. And we have part in praising God that they are in heaven with us. They'll be in heaven because we sent money to them. That's really, that's a mind-boggling concept. I'm not saying that dollars equal souls, but what I am saying is that we, we have a reward in heaven because of dollars that we give to missions and enabling people to reach people that I'll never talk to. We have a vital role of sending missionaries to places that we'll never go, that speak languages, like I said, that we'll never learn. God has always made himself dependent on humans to see his message dispersed through all the earth. Always. When I was a, um, I think I was a, a, I was a sophomore in college. And we went on a mission trip to Mexico. You can show this picture. This is Ashley and I and Pastor Steve Brannon with nice hair. I also had nice hair, just to let you know. And that's also Chris Stone. He's a legend among Chi Alpha alumni circles. Um, you guys will never meet him, but there are things, there are things that, that in culturalisms that we haven't dated in Chi Alpha because he was a part of our group, and we love him dearly. Maybe one day you'll meet him. He's full of life and full of Jesus. But this is Ashley and I. We, we weren't dating. We weren't married. We were nothing. We were just friends. So this, is, this predates all of that. So I'm probably 19 or 20 in this picture, and this was my very first mission trip out of the country. Yes, I was totally in the friend zone. Yes, I was. And it would be, thanks for bringing that up, it would be two long, hard years in the friend zone after that. I'm all of a sudden feeling self-conscious. Yeah. So this was my first mission trip out of the country. And the reason why this, this mission trip was so pivotal in my life is because it really opened my eyes that missions was a real thing. I know we meet missionaries, and I know we see pictures, and we you know, often have friends that go on mission trips. Um, how many people here have been on a, a mission trip, like foreign, like out of the country? Yeah. If you haven't been on a mission trip out of the country, what I'm going to tell you next, I hope, will be the reason you leave the country and go on a mission trip. So I left and went on a mission trip to Mexico. Um, as you can see, the Spanish on the wall. I don't speak Spanish at all, and so it was a very difficult mission trip for me because we were in, we were in, you know, villages that didn't speak English with kids that didn't that spoke really fast and didn't understand why we didn't speak Spanish. And so they would just talk at us really fast, and then 
you know, make some hand motion or whatever, and so we're following them. I don't know if I'm following them into a death trap or to a soccer game, but here I am following these children into this, these places I don't know, and sometimes it was fun, and sometimes it was really an interesting place, to say the least. But this trip changed my life because I actually met people who were on the ground that our Chi Alpha supported, that we gave to, and I saw the result of what our dollars did. It didn't only provide missionary housing or food for the missionaries or an income for the missionary families, but it actually, we would see the result and we would meet people over and over who were, who were saved as a part of this missionary, who were part of the mission of God and going to heaven because we gave dollars to this missionary. And what he was doing on the ground in a place I'll never go again, in a place, in a people that I'll never meet, and people that are serving Jesus now that came after this, I realized that my dollars had real impact in the world. I, I don't, I never, I'd never really made that connection. It seems so far and so distant and so otherworldly. But here, I can see that mission, giving to missions was directly impacting the world. And so when I got back from this trip, the first thing I did is I picked up two missionaries on my own as a student, and I was giving $50 a month to missions because I wanted to see God go more places than I would ever go. And so ever since then, so 2006, I've been supporting missionaries. And I've never stopped. It's, and it's so part of Ashley and I's family that every time we, like Ashley gets a raise or, or we get a gift of money or we, a missionary you know, steps off field and we have that spot open in our budget for another missionary, we're always thinking, who are we going to pick up? This person's stepping off the field in February. Who do we want to pick up next? How, do we, how are we going to increase our, our giving this year? Whenever we have missionaries come and they take a special offering, I always want to give them the offering. Not because I have to, but because I want to. It changed my life to see missions in action, to see that it actually does affect people. There are people in heaven because of money that I've given. There are people in heaven because of money you've given. We are agents of, of the sending love from God. We are those agents. We are those conduits. We have that privilege God is calling us up, up into that, that holy partnership with him. I want every tool that I use to reach people to reflect the love that Jesus sends to them. Meaning that if his love is faithful, if his love is consistent, then I want my giving to be consistent with that. I don't ever want to stop giving to missions because his love has never stopped going to the earth. I want to be faithful in my giving because his love is faithful to them. We want to do this as a family. We do this as a family. Because it's family business. I don't know if you guys know this, um, but the Ericsons and the Seidlers bought a van together a while ago. We called it the Side Larrickson Adventure. And it was awesome. So we found our, we, we had a, a friends of ours that are missionaries to China and they were selling their van and, and 
we realized that, wow, we could really use a van. And it would be really great because we go so many places together that all our family could fit in the same car. But I didn't really have the disposable income to buy a whole van, nor the need to use it all the time, and same with them. And so we split the van. And so we had a calendar for the van. Who's going to use the van this time? Oh, the Silers have it this week. And oh, the Ericsons have it this week. Andy's going to move some malt. Jay needs to move his kids, you know, places. (laughs) Stuff. So we shared the van. We had a shared mission in having the van because I couldn't afford a whole van by myself. The point I want to make with that story is there are things that we can do as a family, as a body, that we couldn't do as individuals. You may not, you, you may not be able to give $450 a month to missions. You're, you know, a college student. But we can do that as a family. If we can pull our money and have a bigger impact together than if we just did it on our own. Now, do I encourage you to give to give the missions on your own and support missionaries all on yourself? Yeah, of course. I totally encourage you to do that. But there, but as a family, we love to do everything together. We love to worship together. We love to play together. We love to travel together. We love to eat together. And we love to give together. We love to support things together. So here's what we're going to do. Just in response to this partnership with God that we've just talked about, we want to we want to commit um, six month faith promises. So faith promise means in faith I'm gonna I'm gonna commit a, an amount to to give into the family that we're gonna give to missions. And we have about six missionaries that we support. You'll see them in a second. Um, and I'm gonna commit in faith to promise this money every month to support the missionaries that we support as a family. The the national Chi Alpha missions motto is every student goes, every student gives, every student prays, every student welcomes. Every student. And it's because we want to, the whole activity of God, we want to involve the entire family into. And so um, the part we're going to enact on tonight is, is every student gives. And Here's what I want to encourage you, okay? We want to encourage that um, that if this is your first time giving to missions, then consider giving $10 a month. Consider starting there and starting low. You may not have a ton of disposable income, and so let's just start with something. It might take a little sacrifice. Like you said, it might take giving up coffee a couple times a month. You might have to back off on your internet speed or something, you know, but giving is, is designed in and of itself to be sacrificial in some way. So I want to encourage you to start at $10 a month if this is your first time giving. If this is not your first time giving, maybe ask the Lord and say, okay, how can I up my giving this month or this, this go around? Maybe you were giving $10 a month, but maybe the Lord wants you to give 15 or $20 a month or 25 But all I'm asking you to consider is, Ask the Lord what he, would get, what he would have you give. But make sure it's consistent. Consistency is the key. We want to reflect the very faithfulness that God is in his love towards people by being faithful in our giving uh, towards missionaries. And on a practical note, it really helps us to, keep, to pay the missions that we're supporting every month if we're just all consistent. God, we thank you that you enrich us to enable us to do your will, to follow in obedience of what we, we speak out in faith, we write down in faith. 
God, we, we know that your heart is to reach people. And so, God, we, we desire to involve ourselves in every activity you have for the mission of God towards people. Lord, we surrender new parts of our life now to be conduits in the kingdom of God, to be agents of your sending love, not only in our actions, not only in our words, not just in our thoughts or our prayer life, but Lord, truly, even in giving. We surrender new parts of our wallet tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for enabling us to give. In Jesus' name, amen.